You're listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Stick around after the message for more information about Mission Ridge. Thanks for tuning in. Well, we are in the third week of Genesis. Last week we looked at Genesis 1 and we, we saw some repeated themes. We, we, we saw that this was a poem. We saw some repeated themes. Let's take a look at that. Five times it says that God created. Five times it says that God separated. Six times we saw this refrain, it was evening and it was morning. Seven times we were told that creation is good. To the Jewish mind, seven is, is a number of completion. The last time, God said what? Very good. Tov meod. We created you and I. And then ten times, we are told that God said. We know that the Egyptian creation story is a story of chaos, <coughs> while the story in Genesis starts with chaos in verse 1. God speaks, and when God speaks into the chaos comes peace, comes order, comes creation. So we saw these repeated themes. We also saw some chiasms. Um, we're going to just highlight a couple for you guys real quick here. This next slide. So we saw on day 1, 2, and 3 that God primarily separates. He separates the light from the darkness, the water from the sky, the land from the seas. We had an interesting conversation about this in our care group. Uh, Kirsten has been looking at uh, astrophysics, like stuff way above my pay grade, way smarter than me. But she was talking about how separating the light from the darkness uh, one way you could see that or look at that or interpret that is that God was separating light matter from dark matter. Interesting thought. But God separates the water from the sky, land and the seas. And then the next three days, God fills. He fills the light and darkness with the sun, moon and stars. So day four and day one correspond to each other. He fills the water in the sky with fish and birds and then he fills the land with animals and humans, and sometimes they jump in the seas. So um, this is a chiasm. This is an ABC, ABC chiasm. And, and the Jews, they use these chiasms to communicate something with the structure, through the structure. And then the next chiasm, which also brought up a lot of conversation for us as a group, you have the, yes, that chiasm. So we talked about this chiasm, you have to actually see. You have to see it in Hebrew. This is my uh, Tanakh, Hebrew Tanakh. This is the only part I could read, by the way. I can't read the Hebrew. Still working on that. But day one is a baby paragraph. Day two is a mommy paragraph. Day three is a daddy paragraph. I was told that the mommy paragraph, the labels are incorrect because mommies do way more talking than daddies. Got those backwards. <laughs> that was our fun time at Care Group this last week. Um, so day four is a big paragraph like day three. This is an ABC CBA chiasm. 
Day five is a medium-sized paragraph. We anticipate day six to be a tiny paragraph because of the chiasm, but the chiasm breaks its form. If all we talked about, if all that God talked about was the creation of the animals, day six would be a baby paragraph. But when God talks about you and me and how he created us, and there's some other things that go into that narrative that tells us that God really wants us to know that we are the crowning glory of his creation. Man and woman are the crowning glory of God's creation. And when you compare this to the Egyptian creation story where man is an accident, where man is an afterthought, where the gods are the, the point of the story, and you better get your act, you know, better get, get yourself in line, better get your life figured out because the gods are mad. When you compare the Egyptian story and then you hear this story for the first time at Mount Sinai as Israel coming out of Egypt after 400 years, God wants us to know that we are special, that, that he is separate from creation that he loves us, that he says that we are very good. So um, you can listen to that sermon online, but with each story, we're going to see God change the narrative that Israel is accustomed to. And I would even say that he's changing the narrative that we are accustomed to. Because culture has a tendency to talk about man in very harsh terms. Well, Genesis 2 is going to continue to highlight some new themes that I think that Israel needed to hear coming out of Egypt after 400 years of slavery. But Genesis 2 is not some elaborate chiasm. I mean, there's, Genesis 1 is actually two chiasms at the same time. It's almost like the author that wrote it down had some help. What do you think about that? Um, Genesis 2 is not some elaborate chiasm. In fact, there's some miniature chiasms throughout. We'll have to wrestle through what some of those are and what, what they mean. We'll talk about those on the, on the podcast. But I think, honestly... You won't fully understand Genesis 2 if you don't first listen to Genesis 1. And maybe you don't fully understand Genesis 1 without Genesis 2. In fact, it's the differences between Genesis 1 and 2 that should highlight some themes for us. So we're going to take a look at that. Let's start in verse 4. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Looks like a miniature chiasm right there. We'll talk about that. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land, and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust, and the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man 
became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in, the, in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now this theme, this pleasant to the sight and good for food, this is, I think we're going to see this theme repeated next week. In other words, we need Genesis 2 to understand Genesis 3 as well. So these three chapters, 1, 2, and 3, they're connected to each other. Then God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work, to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone, for I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord caused, or the Lord had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was his name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, one of, he took one of his ribs and closed up his place with flesh, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. Kind of an interesting story, isn't it? Seems a little different than the Genesis 1 account, doesn't it? Genesis 1, God speaks to create. How does God create in this account? He grabs some dirt, right? A little different. I'm wondering if uh, verse 4 actually speaks to that a little bit. Um, and then this account seems to combine and focus on day 3, 5, and 6. Day 3, what did God create on day 3? He's creating here. The earth and the sky. Yes, and the plants and the trees. Yeah, the earth and the sky. So, so we have the earth, we have the plants, someplace for the birds to fly in the sky. Um, day five, he creates the birds. And day six, he creates man and animals. This all seems to take place, though, as one collection of events. It doesn't seem to follow the Genesis 1 account very well, does it? But maybe it's those differences that we're supposed to pay attention to. And then, what was the command? Uh, go and populate was yesterday. That's all right. Yesterday. 
don't eat. Okay. Interesting. Because the command reads this way. You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. Uh, but we somehow focus. No, we like it's not just you. We somehow focus on thou shall not eat. Like, why is that? Like God gives us a great big garden and of every tree we could freely eat. It's a beautiful garden, we're told. It's desirable. But we focus on the thou shall not. It's an interesting question. And did you notice that God said it was not tov? It is not good. If you just read Genesis 2, that maybe doesn't stand out. But if you read Genesis 1 and then you read Genesis 2, if you hear the Genesis 1 account and then hear the Genesis 2 account where seven times creation is good, 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 very good, and now it's not good. Different. I wonder why that is. And God says he wants to find Adam a helper fit for him. But what's his solution? What's the very next thing he does? He makes animals and makes Adam name them all. <laughs> Apparently Benji is not men's best friend. <laughs> Maybe his best friend, but not a helper's fit for him. So I picture this. I picture the story going this way. So Israel is at Mount Sinai. This is the first time they're hearing this story. They, they've been in slavery for 400 years. They've been told these, these creation myths over and over and over again. They grew up with these creation myths. And these creation myths say something about man and his worth and gods, all the various gods. Um, and I picture someone saying, hey, did you notice that day six paragraph? That was a big baby. <laughs> like that, that story, that, um, it, it turned a corner there. I did not expect that to take place. And animals and man, like they're the crowning glory of creation. I could picture people walking away from that Genesis 1 account when you've lived with these gods that are a mixture of what? Yeah, like this distinction has been blurred in the Egyptian creation stories. And it's not just in Egypt, it's, it's throughout the world. And God wants to communicate himself to the world and, and, and tell us even who he created us to be. Like he wants us to understand why he created us, how he created us. He's trying to remove that that combining of these two, like, and I don't know, I grew up, like, I wanted to be as strong as a bear, you know, like, do you guys remember, like, we've, we've had these stories in our own culture, right? Like, didn't you want to be as fast as a leopard growing up? I don't remember what the story was, but there was two guys, and they were brothers, and they would run around, and, uh, you know, the one guy was fast and the other guy was strong and they solved problems. You know, just, we, we don't want to be human. We want to be something other than human. 
And so my sense is that the naming of the animals is to show a distinction that was blurred in Egypt. I'm talking to Brandon this week about creation and, and what makes us different from the animals. Because we know that there's some smart animals out there, right? He said this, man is the only created being that creates tools to create tools to create tools. It's an interesting thought. One of the ways that we bear the image of God is the way we get invited into creation. Even the naming of the animals, porcupines and hippopotamus and ducks and swans, and I don't know the difference between those two birds, but I like it when I get to eat them. Um, Antelopes and deer and monkeys and gorillas, like even in naming these things, like it is an act of creation. I know sometimes we wrestle hard over how we should name our sermons like this. <laughs> I can't imagine being Adam and going 50,000 creatures and name them. Let's go. But Adam manifested the image of God as he was brought into the act of creation. So in the animals, God did not find a helper fit for him. What does that mean? The Hebrew word, uh, the Hebrew is Ezer Kenego. Ezer means help. It's the kind of help that God provides and is typically reserved for God. And it's the help that God provides in those circumstances that if God does not show up, we're toast. That's the kind of helper that God provides Adam. And then Kenego means equal and opposite. Equal and opposite. So God provides someone who is able to stand opposite and provide support. There's someone that provides equal strength. The way the Jews see this is, is two A-frames. You got, you got this board and you got this board. They come together. They have to be equal in order to support each other, hold each other up. That's how they picture this. That's the kind of help that God is providing. And of course, this story has ramifications in marriage for, for myself. I've learned to value Christy as my partner. I've learned to value her wisdom. I've learned to value the things that she brings to the conversation that I don't bring. I've learned to value her design. And I help her too, sometimes. But this is not just about marriage. This is about community. This is about relationships. At our gym, Cody is one of the trainers, and he's an Ezra Connect to me. He's my equal, but he's also my opposite. And as he, as I learn to receive from, from his training, his gifts, I'm able to do more push-ups more sit-ups in the different classes that we're taking. I, I, hold, I hold squats for an ungodly amount of time. He's an Ezra Kinego to me. Craig Miles is a, is a mentor to me. He's an Ezra Kinego to me. He's, he's one of the pastors at uh, Post Falls Real Life. He's been a mentor to me for years. 
through him, I'm a better pastor, I'm a better father, and a better husband, spiritual leader. He's also on our partnership team. In this story, God says relationships are not just a good idea. You're actually created for relationship. In relationships, you find those pieces that are missing from you. Remember, God took a rib out of Adam. I'm not sure rib is the best definition, but we'll get to that. But God took out a rib from Adam and created Eve. And the question is, why, why, why the side? Why the rib? Why not the head? Maybe a hair or toenail. But the way that you, you uniquely manifest the image of God ministers to me. We've talked about this. Church is not just a church where Logan and I do, do all the work of pastoring, of counseling, of encouraging, of teaching. We share that load. We have leaders throughout our church because we are a kingdom of priests, because we all bear the image of God. Let's talk about that word that we translate side in this story. So one time it's, it's translated rib. It's actually 40 times it's translated as side. Most often it's translated side when talking about the side of the tabernacle in Exodus. So the pieces, the parts that, that make up the side of the tabernacle, and the side of the altar. This word, Selah, is used. So that peace that you're missing, the peace that God purposely put in someone else, is a peace that helps you to to connect to God in better ways. But also when we come together and worship, when we approach that, that place of worship, we also find that peace that's missing from us. Like can, you, can you get a picture for what God's doing here? There's, there's lots of words for side in the Old Testament. This word is predominantly used for that place of worship, though. Isn't that interesting? Like God is connecting his tabernacle, his place of worship, with what God was doing and pulling something out of Adam and putting it into Eve. And this is why the Jews believe that you, you don't just, you don't study about God by yourself, you always do that within community. You always come together with others to wrestle over who is God. What does it mean to serve him? What does it mean to worship him? What is he asking of us? Now, I think we need our own personal time with the Lord. I have a personal time with the Lord on a regular basis. But I also need my time with you. I also need the conversations that you and I have together about the Lord. And I learn way more 
in community than I do by myself. So, so a couple observations. One, we are separate from creation. We are not animals. Whatever differences we see between Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 and how the story of creation is told, I think we could clearly state this. Secondly, we need community in order to live out our design. Every one of us bears the image of God uniquely. I picture it like snowflakes. I don't know why God chooses to make every snowflake different, and I have no understanding of how we know that's true. But why would God do that? Why would he make every one of us uniquely different? I believe that I see something about God in you that I see in no one else. When you're living it out well, <laughs> we don't always live it out well, right? But when we're living it out well, I see something in you that I, that I learn about God that I see in no one else. But relationships aren't always easy, are they? Uh, there's a Jarja Clay song that my wife and I, uh, when we are singing loudly in our car, just the two of us, it, it's a cacophony of noises for sure. But uh, when we sing the song, um, we both kind of get a little giggle out of it. Um, Baby, don't you cry because I got it all figured out. You always make me sad. That's what true love is all about. You know, over the years, our 23 years together, uh, there's been a lot of tears. There's been a lot of frustration, sometimes because of what the other person has or has not done. But more often than not, it's just the two of us healing from some really crappy circumstances that we both experienced separately in our lives. Relationships are hard. They're scary. And just because I say relationships is a good thing, or just because God says relationships are a good thing, doesn't change the fact that it's sometimes the hardest thing you'll ever try to do. But we are designed for relationships and if we're honest, there's something deep in our soul that longs for relationships. And so I hope that we'll be a community that fights hard for relationships, that fights to have good relationships. A community, people that where we create space for people to heal from old wounds. Paul says it this way in Romans 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. 
do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. In other words, just let God define what creation looks like. Let's God, let God define who we are as a people. Let's let God define what relationships should look like and what their value is. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. In other words, it's together that we figure out what it means to serve God. We need each other. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to your faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in his generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. We don't have to be like each other. I don't have to be like Logan. Logan doesn't have to be like me. I don't have to be like Bob. Bob doesn't have to be like Logan, Dave, even his wife. I mean, we, we have different gifts. We bring something unique to the conversation when it comes to God's kingdom, when it comes to community. We need to embrace our part. But we also need to allow people to be an Ezra Kenego to us. Like we need to engage in community. Together, we can grow, we can mature. At this time, we're going to pass out the communion. Jake, Logan, if you guys can do that for me. Uh, if you're new with us, please know that we have an open table. If you are here to celebrate Jesus as Lord and Savior, then uh, please know that you can join us in this. We're going to pass out the elements. And we just ask you to hold on to the elements until uh, we take them together. Uh, there's no shame if you're not ready to take communion today for you to just to pass the elements on. But we will take them together. When I think about the cross and I think about Jesus and what he did on the cross and when I think about relationships, you know, there's, um, Jesus said, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye when you have a log in your, in your own eye? And oh, maybe there's something about Jesus hanging on a tree. Maybe Jesus is trying to say that he'll provide the way for us to deal with the log in our eye.
We're going to talk about Genesis 3 next week. We're going to look at sin. We're going to look at the impact of sin. We're going to look at why. Why is there sin? Um, But know this, that your sin can be freely covered because of the grace of God, because of the love of God, because of what God did on the cross. It's a free gift. All you have to do is say, Lord, I need that. Help me deal with the log in my own eye. Jesus, the night that he was betrayed, he took bread like this and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper. He said, this is new covenant in my blood. Brand new covenant. Covenant of salvation. Covenant of grace. Our hope as a community. Let's do this in remembrance of him. Jesus, I am so grateful for you. I'm so grateful for the price you're willing to pay on my behalf. Lord, you took all my sins. You're the scapegoat for my judgment. I'm grateful for the freedom that I have in you. Lord, we're going to celebrate you with one more song this morning. I pray you be glorified in us now. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. Mission Ridge is a new church in Missoula, Montana. If you're in the Missoula area, we would love to have you join us for worship on a Sunday. For more information about Mission Ridge, connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, or online at missionridge.church. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can give securely online at missionridge.church forward slash give. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you have a blessed week. We'll catch you on the flip side.